Welcome in hockey fans in the desert southwest to another episode of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. My name is Scott Strandy. I'm your host from Scottsdale, Arizona. We are live tonight. My co-host Seth Askelson will be joining me in just a second. Uh, live from his home, I believe, as we're still under quarantine here, folks, in the uh, the wonderful uh, life that we call uh, COVID-19 quarantine. So as Seth joins me, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit of professional hockey tonight. We'll also talk a little bit uh, with our very special guest, the uh, founder and owner of uh, World Hockey Lab, Mr. Hiroki Wakabayashi. is going to be joining us here in about 15 minutes or so. Seth, how are you this evening? I'm doing really well, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited for this episode. I think uh, we've all been, uh, you know, us as content creators, not even necessarily just uh, in this great company and this great website, just all over the world are struggling for content. But Scott, uh, I always give you the tip of the cap. It, you know, anytime I get ready for this podcast, you got some great guests or great ideas. So um, I appreciate you keeping the the train and the, the uh, heart and soul of this site chugging along. Have to do that. Have to do that. There's too much hockey going on, Seth. The, the not games, but stuff going on in and around the hockey world. Uh, you know, every week you and I comment about all the things that are happening off the ice with signings and 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 people getting ready for camp and wanting to restart hockey. And we don't know if it's ever going to happen. But you know, one thing we do know is that the, the players are not forgotten. The hockey teams are not forgotten. And you know, some sad news this week with the uh, the Arizona Coyotes having to uh, furlough some of their employees just because of the unknown, basically. And uh, all those employees, I'm sure, will be coming back just as soon as we know what's going on. But just your thoughts on the state of NHL hockey uh, here in, what, week four or five of this quarantine? Yeah, um, I think some interesting news that came out. Um, not necessarily news, but just some, some interesting takes. Gary Bettman. Uh, went on CNN today, said that uh, pretty much the same thing he's been saying since the the start of this is that, you know, he's hoping that they can return at some point and they want to hand out the Stanley Cup uh, before the next season starts. Uh, but Drew Doughty did come out and say today that uh, he feels that if the Stanley Cup is awarded, that it's not as special and, and not as, I guess, for lack of a better term, valid. Um, you know, he, he mentioned that because they didn't, finished the regular season, you know, didn't give all the teams a chance. Um, but uh, so I think some of the players may have the feelings. And, and again, a guy like Drew Doughty, who's won two Stanley Cups and, and two Stanley Cups in an era where we currently are at, right? Like he's a guy who's a, a good, smart, fast, physical defenseman in a game where there's no bad skaters anymore. I think back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, and even in the early 2000s, there's a lot of guys who weren't great skaters, but you bring that physical aspect. Everybody's fast. The game is incredibly fast, and it's a guy who has played uh, kind of in almost in both both uh, a couple different eras, right? Guy where it's a little more physical, and you know where it's a little more fast nowadays. So um, Drew Doughty saying that he he feels that it wouldn't be as special, but um, is he uh, echoing the sentiments of every? player and, and every everybody around the league uh, who knows but a guy who's very outspoken kind of giving a, a an inward look to what players might be feeling about handing out a Stanley Cup yeah and I can totally I, I can see both points and both sides of it I should say but when you look at uh, you know 
I heard today they were talking about one possibility could be they would they would roll back to 68 games for the regular season and determine who would be in the playoffs according to that. And some people, obviously, you would think would be very happy to be in their position. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, for example, would win the Pacific Division. Other teams, eh, not so happy because they don't get a chance to finish out all 82 games and, and leave their mark where they want to. But you know, it is what it is. That's uh, that's the world we're living in right now. We just have to continue to fight through it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, uh, as the sad news came on Saturday morning when the, uh, the Bakersfield Condors and the Edmonton Oilers lost the Colby Cave, um, who had a brain bleed suddenly, uh, was put into a medically induced coma and had, had surgery and unfortunately was not able to recover. So uh, our heart and thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the Cave family and and his wife, Emily, for uh, that tragic loss. I, I saw a very nice tribute today up in North Battleford, Ontario, where they uh, they, they saluted uh, Colby's family as they came back into town. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. We, we witnessed that with Craig Cunningham, and, you know, fortunately we were able to save Craig. Uh, and then all of a sudden something like this happens to another young hockey player who was up and coming. So, uh, like I said, prayers go out to the Cave family. Yeah, they do, and I think it also kind of proves that uh, your time can come at any time, right? Uh, a guy like Craig Cunningham, who was in uh, in prime shape, uh, a younger athlete, a guy who had played in the NHL and you know had success both in the NHL and the American League level, and a guy with Colby Cave, who um, you know if this was the Oilers of two or three years ago, he'd probably be a regular. I think just due to the the fact uh, where the Oilers were at at that point, he was kind of up and down, but uh, still a great hockey player nonetheless. And um, yeah, you see a top level athlete at 25 years old, suddenly die. You know, it's, it's hard. And again, a, a brain bleeds a little bit different, right? I mean, it, it could happen. You could get hit in the back of the head with, you know, a rock on accident. And, you know, that could cause your skull to fracture or your brain to start bleeding. It's, you know, one of those things where, you know, you just kind of wonder and, and it makes you think like, okay, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter how well I'm staying in shape or what I'm eating or how I'm treating people or how I'm doing in life. Like uh, it could come at any time. So uh, yeah, prayers for the uh, cave family and um, a lot of, a lot of support. And I think it just shows after um, we had a, a week, a couple weeks ago where, um, we had some really ugly racism, you know, directed at Keandre Miller. And um, I think what has happened in terms of uh, the r race relations and um, with hockey and the National Hockey League, it's really nice to see the hockey community come together. And again, it's that's two different topics, but still uh, good to see the hockey community come together and um, support the Cave family. Well, in about five minutes, we're going to bring on our guest, uh, Hiroki Wakabayashi, who is the... Uh, president and founder of World Hockey Lab, LLC. And and uh, I know Hiroki pretty well. I've had a chance to get to know him. Hiroki is battling a battle of his own, which we'll talk with him about a little bit, see how things are going for him in just a few minutes. But before we get into that, we'll talk just a little bit about his background. He is a fantastic uh, goalie coach, skating coach, hockey coach for more than 20 years from Osaka, Japan, and uh, now living in the Chandler um, Awatuki area and uh, has made Arizona home now and we're, we're thrilled to have him because he's just a wealth of knowledge. One of the things that I want to talk to Hiroki, well several things, but one of them is 
uh, the fact that he's got a new title now, I believe, with USA Hockey. I believe it's officially been announced as of last week, so we'll ask him about that. It has to do with goaltending in the Rocky Mountain region. We'll also talk to him about his analytics because uh, I don't know, Seth, if you've seen his webpage, but he has a hockey analytics page where he's analyzed um, goals uh, like 3,854 to be exact that he tracked in 2017-2018 as a study. And, and Hiroki will tell us a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But, you know, every time you, you, when you ask me about content, I try to find people for our podcast that, that can really bring something out that maybe uh, people haven't caught on to or haven't heard of before. So Hiroki is definitely one of those those people. I think he'll be in a very interesting conversation. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, like I said, we'll have him on, and uh, and we'll go from there and, and, and see how things are going. So anything else you need to cover before we get started and uh, jump into our guest? Uh, no, I think I'll definitely look at uh, Hiroki's uh, breakdown of all those goals, right? I think when you take a look <laughs> at something like, um, you know, like uh, goals in the NHL, right? Like to you and me, people from you know, from the naked eye, you say, okay, well, how are most goals for deflections, rebounds, you know, picking up the garbage in front, the occasional breakaway. But it really is interesting to see with analytics, like, okay, is it a shot that comes from the corner? Is it a shot that comes just inside the circles? Is it, you know, and I think, especially for a guy like Hiroki, who works with goaltenders, you can say, hey, you know, you can see tendencies in certain players and certain teams and um, really useful, right? Like I, I think, you know, even if, if he takes a look at goals at all levels and says, okay, well, a lot of guys like to shoot from the top of the circles once they hit the line. You know, you can tell a goaltender, hey, that's universal. That's not just the NHL. That's not just college. That's not just the American League. That's everywhere. So um, I, I think not only is it kind of cool and neat to see, especially with analytics, but um, for a goaltender coach like himself, I think uh, really good and, and can help goalies kind of prepare for the future. Right? Like I think goaltending has changed so much. Um, you know, goaltenders aren't five ten anymore. They're big. These are big guys, uh, big, tall, lanky, and they're guys that value video and value analytics. No longer to the day, you know, you just throw one of your worst skaters in pads and tell them, all right, just don't let the puck behind you. I don't care what you do. Just <laughs> stop the puck. Now, you That's know, back in my day. Goaltenders. That's back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's not too far removed from where I was, you know, growing up and in, in playing hockey. And um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, sometimes you look at specific teams and the goaltenders are the best athletes. I mean, you know, you think of guys like Ben Bishop, uh, Andre Vasilevsky, Sergei Bobrovsky when he's on. Uh, we've seen here in the Valley how good uh, Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta can be. I mean, you take a look up to- or a little bit north of us and look into Vegas and you look at Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. Like, these goaltenders, Jonathan Quick, who won two Stanley Cups, pretty much made a, a living out of being an athletic goaltender, maybe the best athlete on his team. So, um, yeah, these goaltenders are good, and, you know, they're getting uh, they're getting smarter, and they're getting more athletic, and they're getting faster. So uh, uh, you love it for your team, but you got to find a way to maybe uh, destroy the books over on the other side, make sure those goaltenders <laughs> can't get their hands on numbers. Absolutely. Okay, let's take a quick break. Let's come back with Hiroki Wakabayashi in just one minute. Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community, offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. 
Visit any one of our Three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails. Whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila. Award-winning taste since 2011. from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout. Refine your prime with M-Drive. All right, and we're back. Scott Strandy in Scottsdale, Arizona. Seth Askelson in North Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Seth, we're going to bring Hiroki on in just one second, but I do want to shout out to our uh, corporate partner of the week, Behind the Mask. What a great job they've been doing serving the hockey community for not only 25-plus years, but, but also staying as connected as they can during the quarantine with online purchases and curbside pickups. So, uh, congratulations to Randy and the guys over behind the mask. What a terrific job and well-deserved honor of being our corporate partner of the week. Yeah, behind the mask is, like you said, 25 years. Uh, I'm 23 years old. I'll be turning 24 in September. So just about as old as I am, and that's where I can remember getting a lot of my stuff, right? Like, And I still do to this day. I go in, and um, they're so helpful, um, so willing to help. And uh, a couple of GCU guys uh, – one former, one current, uh, worked there at least that I know of as well. Brett Kramer works at the Peoria shop. Um, I know Marvin Simmons also works for, uh, behind the mask. So not only are they, uh, a great company that, uh, really helps promote hockey in the Valley, but they have great employees who are knowledgeable, who are smart, who are funny, um, just a great all around business. And, uh, I'm glad not only are they our corporate sponsor, but corporate sponsor of the week as well. All right. Well, it's 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 time. Let's bring on um, Hiroki Wakabayashi, the founder and president of uh, World Hockey Lab. Hiroki, are you with us? Uh, Hiroki, if you want to tap the uh, number three call-in button there, I think we can get you live on the air with us. So um, as we wait for Hiroki to join us, Seth and I will tell you that uh, Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly is a uh, – ITHSW podcast is one of our three that we do. I believe we've got Hiroki with us. Hiroki, yes. my friend, how are you this evening? I'm doing fine. Very good. You hear well, me? It's great, to, it's great to have you on. You got Scott with you and Seth, my co-host. Um, we're pleased to have you. We kind of been, been bragging you up a little bit, so uh, I hope you don't mind that. I'm good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. For, Okay, so before we get talking hockey with you, I want to know how you're doing personally because uh, it's been a few months now since you announced that you uh, have your own little battle going on with uh, a very serious 
blood cancer. So if you don't mind, tell everybody out there how you're doing personally. I'm doing fine. I'm on the final cycle of the chemotherapy right now. So I've been on the chemotherapy for about six months, uh, five or six months. And this is the final week. Actually, the next week is going to be the final one. Then uh, after that, I'm going to take a rest for about a month and going for a stem cell transplant, which is going to be very tough uh, treatment. But uh, that's what's going to happen in May and June. So that's my status as of now. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, those of us that know you, Hiroki, know that you never stop. And I, I knew you wouldn't slow down because you, you like to do stuff on the computer. If you can't be on the ice, you do what you can from off the ice and and. Uh, you know, I know that the hockey community is uh, is trying to support you as best that we can. Uh, I've still got some jerseys because I'm waiting to put up a, a hockey auction. We've tried two different times to get ready, and then either COVID-19 hit us or, or one other thing. So we're still doing a fundraiser for you just as soon as we get all the uh, the proper timing, I guess, to make sure we get the best best response we can. But trust, trust in that, that we've got some goalies that are provided some uh, – autographed jerseys for us and we hope to have a whole bunch more before we have that going and hopefully can help you out financially as you continue your battle thank you so much for the help it's been uh it's been so blessing the hockey community around me are helping me out like not just in the u.s but from around the world you know people are trying to help me out so that's a very 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 blessing for me and my wife so thank you so much for the help Absolutely. We're always thinking of you. And, you know, before we start talking hockey, I have one more thing to ask you about. If you follow you on Twitter, you've got something really cool going on now with the uh, the gargle challenge. Uh, karaoke gargles. <laughs> Tell me how that got going. Uh, you know, basically, I got so bored, you know, and trying to find something to do. You know, I, you know, basically, I'm just packing my my place and doing nothing. So I have to find something. And gargling is actually pretty popular in japan to prevent uh, flu and stuff like that right. so uh, yeah i was uh, you know i've been doing it for ever and <laughs> one day i figured out like how what if i sing with the gargle and it was kind of uh, it was kind of cool so i decided to do it so that's it uh, it's a lot of fun and uh We'll talk a little hockey for you. I know Seth has got some questions for you as well. I, I, I made him go into your uh, your hockey analytics because that's one of the things that you've been doing you know, just more recently than, than just your on-ice stuff. But let's start with hockey analytics, uh, Hiroki. Tell me how you got started doing that again and, and you know, what you, your enjoyment and what your teaching value is of understanding uh, where shots and goals are scored from. Yes, it's uh... – it started a couple of years ago, 2017. That's when I decided to do this project. But uh, the biggest mot motivation is I needed some kind of uh, numbers to back up my theories. So because uh, hockey analytics have been getting very popular in hockey world, but you know, no matter how you see it, someone else's number is someone else's numbers. You know what I mean? So I needed yes. my number to back up back up my theory. So I just didn't want to say, like, I believe so because someone else said that or someone else's number is saying so. So instead of doing that, I wanted to have my own number with my own uh, criteria, which is very important because, you know, everyone has seen the games differently and I see the games different than someone else too. So I needed my criteria to 
have my numbers. So that's my motivation. So that's when I started uh, this project. Then, uh, yes, I thought this would be not that tough, but once I started the project, <laughs> oh my God, that's so tough. So I tried to, I tried to, re I tried to record every single goal scored in NHL, but halfway to the point, I almost gave up on it and I just captured right. half of the goals, which is about 4,000 already, you know what I mean? So that's crazy amount of goals. And oh, right. I, yeah, the amount of criteria I have is like more than 10. So not just prompting out like where the goal scored, I wanted to, you know, uh, dig in a little bit deeper than that. So where the pass is coming from, like where the puck is actually starting to, you know, dump in from where, you know. So I tried to plot back like three steps behind what the goal scores. So it's a gigantic project. Hiroki, well, absolutely. Is, uh, Seth, you got any? Go yeah, ahead, sorry, Hiroki. This is Seth. I uh, hope you're doing well. Um, taking a look at your website right now. Um, and, uh, I think the most interesting one is, uh, the screen goal study, because I remember when I grew up, uh, I played both forward and defenseman. And I remember as a forward, I was always told, hey, look, you go to the net, create screens, nothing bad can happen. I see here that, uh, you saw you, you, um, came out with 15.6% of the goals that were scored through screens were created by both an offense and defensive player. Um, yes. taking a look at, at those, at those screen goals. Was that a case of the offensive player kind of drawing in a defensive player to create more of a screen? Or is it one of those things where the defensive player is there to try to move the guy out and causes a, an inadvertent screen while trying to get rid of it? It is both. It is both. So obviously, you know, when offensive player is going in front of the net, you have to do something, right? You cannot just let the guy get in front of the net. So now defenseman has to push him, push him out. But from the goalie standpoint, you know, it's going to create another screen. So it's going to be double screened and it's going to make sometimes or many times it's going to make the situation even worse. That's what I found out. And not just that, you know, nowadays, let's say playing one-on-one from blue line, the shooter is getting so much smarter. So they're going to pull the puck right in front of defenseman's legs and shoot through it. So that's going to create another screen for goalie as well. So it's, a, I would say it's both. Broke, um, you know, I've asked you several times. Uh, I'm sorry, Seth, go ahead and follow it up there if you have one. Yeah, sorry. Um, so with those screen goals, obviously the game has changed now. Um, you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, you used to be able to, you know, cross-check somebody in the back or slash them on the legs in front of the net and the ref would kind of shrug their shoulders. Are you saying that because you can't be as physical in front of the net that these screens and these double screens are becoming more effective? Definitely, I think so. I think uh, for offensive point of view, it's easier to get in front of the net for sure because you're not going to knock down. So that's part of the big reason. And, and Hiroki, you and I have talked uh, several times about the uh, the size of goaltenders. And, and as we see in the NHL, they keep getting bigger and bigger. And I know you work with goaltenders of all, of all sizes. Is that size factor, is that really important to be bigger? Or have you seen that you can have equally as talented smaller goaltenders? Well, there, there are some 
you know, part of the game that smaller goalie can be better. But the thing is, you know, now the standards size of small goaltender is like six feet. It used to be bigger size goalies. So I would say, you know, it's, yes, if you're really, really skilled, you have, you have job for sure. But still, you know, uh, having good size, at least like 6'1", 6'2", would help. That's for sure. Smaller goalie has to be really, really technically perfect to be surviving in the game. That's what I would say. And Hiroki, when we talk about uh, what you like to do in, in your goaltending camps, and you've got a lot of great drills that you do, but give us some of your drills that maybe are your favorites, ones you like to work guys through and, and help them in their development. Say you have a kid that's 14, 15 years old, so he's got some skills. He's trying to get up to that next level. What do you like to do with him that, uh, that would, you would see some great improvement with? I think uh, definitely, definitely – Side-to-side movement is one of the most important things in today's game. So make sure goalies are not just standing in place and try to shoot at him, you know, which is happening a lot in like goalies warm-up drill, which is good for warm-up. But in the real situation, you're not just sitting in the one place. So instead of just sitting in the one place, I would make goalie move side-to-side, then try to shoot. So at least they can, you know, work on their lateral movement, side-to-side movement with skating. So that's one thing I recommend. And another thing is just like, uh, just like we talk about screenshot, even the simplest shot, like, you know, shooting from the high slot, put some screen in front. And now it's going to be a very, very realistic situation instead of just seeing the clear shot. And I know that you do a lot of work, not only, uh, here in Arizona, but you're, uh, you're all over the world. I mean, last year, uh, this time we were talking about, your unbelievable uh, travel schedule. And I know that's been curbed now uh, while you uh, continue this battle, but uh, tell us a little bit about where you've been and all the places you've been and maybe some highlights of, of some of the places you've been around the world. Well, first of all, I'm from Japan, so I'm still having my goalie schools in Japan, especially in the springtime. And obviously, you know, this year I cannot do it because of my treatment and all kind of, uh, you know, coronavirus situations. But uh, I have my camps in Japan for like seven weeks usually, and I have eight or nine camps within seven weeks, so that's crazy by itself. Then usually I come back here in Arizona to work with Boris Droshenko, the skating coach, and I work with the goalies in his skating camp. Then uh, usually after that, I'm flying out to Czech Republic and work with my mentor coach, Francois Lel. And after that, I come back to U.S. and uh, have my camps in Arizona and in Fargo. That's the usual schedule and also in California as well. Then uh, last year, I had a chance to go to Thailand, actually. That was pretty cool. And I had a goalie camp in Thailand. So that was pretty cool. Uh, You know, and I remember you trying to get to Thailand. It wasn't the easiest job in the world, was it? That was a, one of the longest <laughs> flight, not the longest flight, but longest travel. And, you know, when, when you remember that, you know, just before that travel, you interviewed me, right? You had the interview right. with me. Yes. And my back, my back was hurting so bad because of the cancer, but I didn't know about that, you know? So right. obviously that trip, that trip didn't help <laughs> for sure. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wish I knew it, you know, so I would just cancel the trip. But, you know, I didn't know about that. So I just went there with uh, with my broken spine. Oh, <laughs> That's crazy. That terrible. Yeah, I remember the yes. pain that you were in when we were talking. But Seth, go ahead. If you've got something more for Hiroki, jump in. Yeah, Hiroki, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by analytics. Um, I'm one of those younger kids that I think really enjoys the numbers and the analytics and thinks it's really helpful. Um, with the study that you did and, and all the great numbers that you came up with, how have you been able to incorporate that study into the way you teach uh, these younger goaltenders? Well, <clears throat> some of the numbers are like no-brainers. Like we all, we already know that you know net front is the most dangerous area for the goalies, and you know I have the number 53 percent of the goals are scored from the net front. So we kind of know it, but you know now we have their actual numbers, so we can we can actually say to the kid like, hey, more than half of their goals are scored from net front, so let's work on this kind of thing. So. You could, you know, it doesn't have to be like uh, this this mystery or secret or biggest thing in the world. You know, you can, you know, the, those kind of numbers by just feeling. But you can actually say that number for the goalies, so they will know it. Like they, everyone knows, screenshot is important for goalies. So now you have the numbers, so they can believe it. So you can use that too. And other things sometimes. You don't know the numbers and, you know, it would be helpful for the goalies. And one of the things I found out is net front. So this is a king of the scoring. Net front one-touch shot. So it's 21% of the scoring happened in net front by one-touch shot. So that's going to give goalie coaches some subject to work on every day. So it is not the wrist shot from the high slot. It is not the slap shot from the point. You need to work on the one-touch shot from the net point because that's the most scored goals in NHL. So I, I'm using the numbers for these kind of things. Does it make sense? Yes, I think that's really yeah, helpful because um, I think, it, you know, for goaltenders and even defensemen, right, I think that can be really helpful defensemen too. Hey, this is the way the most yes. of the goals are scored, so be on the lookout for this. Yes. And another thing is, you know, how to evaluate the goalies or how to evaluate like the bad goals. I recently come up with the numbers of the bad goals. You know, is it really bad goals affecting goalies performance or no? Those kind of thing. So that one of the definition of the bad goal is just a clean shot. So goalie has more than 0.5 seconds to set up. And it's a clean shot without any screen. So if you get score like that, it's like a softy, right? Easy goal from like high slot, let's say. But statistically, if you count it, even if you got score, those softy goals, it does not really affect your save percentage. It is quite interesting. It does not correlate with your save percentage. And if it does not correlate with the save percentage, it's not going to correlate with the winning or points. It's interesting, huh? So bad goal doesn't mean your performance is bad. Yeah. And Hiroki, you know, so, we've also talked about the, the athleticism in goaltenders, and I'm sure you've seen uh, the goals in the NHL before the season was paused. But I happen to witness uh, – Mark andre Fleury up in Vegas make a save that I thought was one of the best saves I ever saw. 
and then I saw the uh, the tape of uh, Darcy Kemper make one that they're calling the Scorpion save. So uh, are goaltenders getting more athletic and being able to make incredible saves off of like rebounds and second shots, second opportunities? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the goalies train so much better nowadays. And it used to be just a simple goalie movement, but uh, now goalies are training like comprehensive situations. So the goalies getting much, much better athletes. And actually uh, equipment, the evolution of the equipment actually helps goalie to move, like, move very athletic too. Because back in the day, goalie pads are so heavy, so you cannot really you know, move around quick quick enough but nowadays the goalie's equipment so light and so efficiently made so the goalie can move athletically for sure so when we talk about not only the athleticism and the and the pads but the fact that goaltenders are learning and i'm sure you do drills with this as well to anticipate where that second shot's coming from whether it be a rebound or or a second pass or whatever it may be but uh, goaltenders, you talked about the side-to-side -side movement, but the fact that they can now anticipate quite a bit better, is that is that true a statement as well? Uh, the one thing is anticipation, but another thing is tracking. So nowadays, ah, yes. goalies, are goalies are working on the tracking with, with the eyes, of course. You know, it's, it is no-brainer game, but now all the goalies are working on the tracking. So, you know... If you can track the puck well, you will see the rebound and you can move quick. So it's not much about the reading and reacting. It's about, you know, how well you can track the puck. Seth, do you have anything more for Hiroki? Yeah, Hiroki. Um, as you mentioned, uh, being from Japan, you go back there and, and you run your goalie camps as well. I think um, it's interesting for us here in Arizona because uh, the – the moniker is always, oh, hockey doesn't belong here and it won't grow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the NHL had a really big um, presence, I would say, um, with the National Hockey League in the late 90s and into the year 2000, having uh, three series between 1997 and 2000, and also having uh, the Nagano Olympics in 1998. Uh, what is hockey like now in Japan? What is its popularity, and, and what do you see that – um, is the future and the growth for hockey in that country? Well, unfortunately, hockey in Japan is going down. So I would say that uh, that was a prime when the Nagano Olympic happened in Japan. Hockey is getting popular, but uh, somehow we didn't really manage it well enough to make it more popular. So we used to have six professional teams to create Japan Ice Hockey League, but now it's coming down to four. So we are merging with uh, uh, Korea and, and Russia to create Asia League Hockey. So it is an international league and it's a professional league, but compared from what we had before, it's kind of slowing down. So, yeah, it's sad, but it's true. But the bright side is we have some younger players, younger generations coming to U.S. and Canada to play in good junior level hockey like a USHL. There's one Japanese kid who's going to be I'm pretty sure it was going to be he's going to be drafted NHL next year. So we have some younger talent who's trying to prove themselves uh, overseas. So hopefully they're going to be, you know, they're going to be the force to uh, revamp Japanese hockey in near future. And Hiroki, for those that don't know, you also uh, 
work with the DYHA Junior Sun Devils as the goaltending director. And I understand you just got a, uh, a new job. Is that true? Uh, yes, it's not, it's not a, you know, uh, it's kind of a volunteer type of job with uh, USA Hockey. So I am officially named as a goaltending development leader in this uh, Rocky Mountain district. So uh, it's a little job to help, uh, help out the USA Hockey goaltending, div- goaltending events here and there and uh, try, to, uh, try to deliver the USA Hockey philosophy of uh, goaltending development around this uh, area. So that's, that's going to be my job. It's very, very exciting to do that. And still working with the junior uh, Sun Devils as well? Of course. Yes, that's my main job. Okay, so, so I, I want you to tell the people out there as we kind of wrap things up with you tonight, but you told me something a long time ago or a few years ago now when I first met you that you weren't a goaltending guru to start with, were you? You were a hockey player and a hockey coach. And tell us how you got started and became the goaltending guru that you are today. Well, uh, so first of all, I'm not a goalie. I was playing forward up to a college level in Japan, but uh, I had a chance to become a translator, interpreter for uh, Francois Lel, who was a goalie coach for Montreal Canadiens at that time. And so he was working with Patrick Waugh. So he was a guy to develop Patrick Waugh. And after that, he moved to Anaheim, then Toronto, then uh, finished his career in NHL in Colorado. So I was lucky enough to work with that uh, world's best goalie coach. And, you know, he's a very cool guy. And I made a good friendship with him. And, and somehow I got motivated to coach goalies. So that's how I started. So after a couple of years of coaching in Japan, I tried to, you know, I wanted to prove myself. So I moved to Canada and had some uh, had some seasons in Peterborough. And after that, I moved to Minnesota. And after that, I moved back to Japan, working with the pro guys. Then I moved back to U.S. So it's a, it's been a journey and it's been an adventure. And, and the camp dates are, uh, are tentatively set. Uh, do you think you're going to be able to make it to any of these camps with your schedule this year or what's your plan? Uh, yes, you know, everything is, uh, of course, it's up to my treatment schedule and, you know, this uh, coronavirus situation as well. But uh, in Phoenix, I'm planning to have the camp in the second and third weekend of the August. So it's going to be August 8, 9 and August 15 and 16. So everything is booked, but uh, we haven't started the registration yet because of this situation. So hopefully everything is going to be, you know, slow down and, you know, I will be able to do this camp. I really hope so. Seth, anything you got? Final question for Hiroki? Uh, No, Hiroki, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think goaltending is such an interesting position that's really developed and almost boomed in the last uh, 20 to 30 years. So I appreciate your insights and I'm definitely going to be, diving deeper uh, into your analytic uh, discovery of how goals were scored from a couple seasons ago. I'm a, I'm a big numbers guy. I'm a big analytics guy. So I'll definitely spend some time looking at that. Cool. Uh, let me know if I can help you anyway. Just uh, contact me anytime. Hiroki, thanks okay, so much for coming on. You. And, uh, you know, be- best of luck uh, in everything. Like I said, the, uh, the jerseys continue to come in. And, and maybe when you hit this next stretch and you're going to need a little more uh, – 
little more momentum and a little more finances, we're going to be able to help you out. So we're going to continue to ask for donations and see if we can get a nice Foley jersey rack going so we can uh, do some fundraising for you. Thanks again for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's Hiroki Wakabayashi, the uh, founder and president of the World Hockey Lab. I had a chance to join Seth and I and talk a little goaltending, a little hockey from around the world. Uh, Seth, let's take another quick break here in a second, and uh, we'll come back and, uh, and discuss the uh, little wrap-up of professional hockey in the desert southwest. Wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. Pre-game like a pro, post-game like a champion at College Bar and Grill. Located across the street from the iconic A Mountain and Sun Devil Stadium and a quick walk from Wells Fargo Arena, College Bar and Grill is your home for the best local craft beer, delicious creative cocktails, tasty food, and Tempe's best atmosphere for Arizona State Athletics. College Bar and Grill, pre-game like a pro, post-game like a champion. Online at ilovecollege.co. All right, and we're back. Got Scott Strandy in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've got Seth Askelson uh, in North Phoenix. And Seth, tell me a little bit about uh, your feelings on Hiroki and the great job he did, uh, not only in the personal battle, but the way he had a chance to visit with us. Yeah, it was great insight from Hiroki. I think uh, he brings such a, a good, to unique uh, kind of way to look at the game of goaltending, right? I think it's one of those where, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's a lot of part mental, but it's also a lot of part physical. And with the way games are getting smarter now, nowadays, I think, uh, like he said, you know, uh, there's no, you know, there's no secret, right? Players watch film, players study stats. Um, and not only can it help a, a goaltender, but can also help defensemen as well, right? Like, I think if you think of a thing like football where, you see different position groups in the same film room and study the same things. Uh, you can almost do the same thing with goaltenders and defensemen, right? Like if you know a goaltender plays a certain way, you know, is maybe a little more uh, sprawled out or, you know, goes from side to side quicker, is a little more of an athletic goalie, you can play your game to where, you know, you're able to make sure that um, you're doing the best you can. And and I think he brings a really good insight and and has a lot of good numbers and, and really brought some good things um, to this podcast. And again, like I said, I'm definitely going to jump in and, and watch a little bit more or uh, look a little bit more deeper into those uh, analytics and that study he did. Yeah, it's, it's some fascinating numbers to see. Uh, not only that, but if you ever watch his workouts, I've had a chance to watch him a couple of times uh, doing some of his drills. And it's really fun to watch. Uh, not only the more mature goaltenders, but the younger goaltenders as well, and the way they react. So 
USA Hockey has got themselves a good one uh, by having Hiroki joining them and, uh, and you know, working with the goaltenders in the Rocky Mountain region. And that just tells you how much things are growing. You know, you and I talk every, uh, every week about the growth of hockey in the desert Southwest, whether it be professionally or amateur youth level or college or whatever it is. And it, it's grown at every level, but we all know that in order to maintain and to continue to grow the base, it has to start out at the younger level, correct? Yeah, and I think that's the way it goes, right? I think when you take a look at sports just in general, why aren't, you know, you can say, okay, why aren't these fan bases any bigger? Like the Cardinals, right? They weren't good um, in the 90s, so they missed a chance with the generation. Uh, you could say the same thing um, with the Coyotes to a certain extent. When it comes to getting kids into the sports and, and the games they love, it has to start early. And, um, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of uh, parents really put their kids into sports early, which I think is good, right? I, I don't think that's a bad thing, but um, you're seeing now the importance of getting kids into sports and activities early, and it's something that um, they latch on to for life. So, yeah, it, it really does help um, getting the kids in early and in, into something like hockey and specifically goaltending. So um, definitely brings that big importance. All right. We always talk uh, a little AHL hockey as well. And, uh, you know, things continue as I look uh, online all the time to check up in Vegas, that AHL practice facility in Henderson is coming along. I know they're, uh, they're also hoping to uh, soon break ground on the 6,000 seat facility up there, but right now they are, uh, they're definitely moving along and hope for a one October opening. I'm told on that AHL building in, uh, in Henderson, Nevada. So, Soon to be the Henderson Silver Knights, I believe, is, is going to be the name. And, you know, you and I have talked about professional hockey, like I said, and the growth. And how great is it going to be to have that AHL franchise? It, I mean, we're chomping at the bit for hockey right now. But, man, when it comes back, I think it's going to come back with a vengeance. Yeah, it will. And, uh, Scott, I think you're going to have to uh, get your, your <laughs> connections and your email fingers ready because – uh, hopefully we can, you know, go up there and, and see what's going on in Henderson and, and go even over to Palm Springs, right? I mean, I know that's for the Seattle NHL franchise, but it'd still be good to see what's going on in Palm Springs. And it's, you know, jumping into all these new markets, right? Tucson, a relatively new market. Henderson going to be brand new. Palm Springs going to be brand new. Um, and, and people are going to be hungry for sports. I mean, you think of a place like Palm Springs, right? It uh, doesn't have a professional team at any level of its own. You know, probably people are probably Kings fans, Ducks fans, Lakers fans, all that. You know, these people are hungry. It's just—it's not just hockey shut down. It's professional sports is shut down. So I think people are going to be hungry to go to live events. And uh, when live events eventually come back, they're going to be expensive to go to. They're going to be very expensive to go to. And um, I think that's just going to show that everybody wants to get back to sports and live events and enjoy the things they did. Um, you know, before this shutdown all happened. So uh, you're going to see a massive resurgence because of all of this that has happened. But the most important part is making sure that the attendance and the interest stays up once the resurgence, uh, the initial kind of resurgence dies down. Yep, totally agree with you. Uh, like I said, all hockey on hold right now, but there's always talk going on. I mean, you hear, you know, uh, last, last week we had uh, Tom on, and we were talking about the um, uh, the fact that that arenas cost them a lot of money to have ice in year round. 
But um, when you're able to take the ice out and put it back in, and Tom made it sound like it was a lot easier said than done. So maybe uh, maybe that's something we're going to see too, is that places are going to take the ice out for a little while and then put it back in whenever they think they can restart the season. Yeah, well, I think when you talk about uh, easier said than done, I definitely think you can um, ask a place like AZ Ice Peoria, who's had a hard time uh, keeping ice year-round. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it's not as easy. And I think uh, you take a look at just around the league, right? The Coyotes announced that um, they're furloughing half of, of its employees. Um, so I think you're starting to see, you know, uh, teams are not willing to pay those extra expenses if, if they're not going to happen. And with ice, yeah, I mean, you think, oh, how, how easy is it? It's, you know, you put water down and you freeze it. Well, <laughs> at the NHL level, I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to skate on the Coyotes ice. I have a, I've had the, um, the honor of doing so a few times. That's the best ice I have ever skated on, ever in my entire life, the best ice in the Valley. And you see NHL players on the yearly say that's by far the worst ice in the National Hockey League. So if that's yeah. the worst ice in the National <laughs> Hockey League, then it it's it's a little bit more than just throwing some some cold water down on some frozen pipes. So yeah, it, it's not as easy. And a place like Tucson, where uh, I think the convention center isn't always most willing to keep the ice up, and um, you know they obviously have other things that go on at the convention center. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that not of a lot of arenas are interested in doing. And you know I think arenas are more of okay let us know when we're coming back and we'll make sure we'll have ice ready by then rather than hey we just got to keep this ice up until they tell us so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see and and obviously building dates have been you know asked for building dates into august but um again i don't think we see a season until uh, next season whether that be a full season or not who knows but uh, i don't think we see hockey until at least the fall well you know what i'm, I'm starting I, I, right away when you said that, I was going like, oh, it's too early to make a decision. But now as things progress on and you see these different things, I'm leaning and leaning a lot more towards your side of it. Uh, I, I really think maybe the best thing to do is just to stop the season, not give out a Stanley Cup this year, um, and then focus on the draft and training camp and, and maybe starting next year fresh um, and get a full season in rather than try to put something – you know, I understand the money of it, obviously. The, the playoffs are where you make your money, but goodness gracious. And I mean, the longer we go, the longer it's going to take to get restarted, and then we just don't know what we're going to have for talent. And in the meantime, you're going to be pushing it up against drafts, mini camps, rookie camps, regular camps. So, you know, I think I think Tom said this too last week, is that, uh, you know, there's definitely a drop-dead date, if you will, where they're – they can't go on beyond this point and try to restart this season. So hopefully something will come of it in the near future, because I think we all want to have uh, some sort of, you know, planning done. I mean, I was looking today at just the, the NCAA hockey schedule, for example, a lot of places have started to, if they haven't announced their schedule are starting to leak them out. So I'm, I'm seeing places where, um, you know, games in October, November, December, holiday tournaments, are already booked for NCAA hockey. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, that tells you that hockey's not too far away, or at least they hope not. Yeah. I mean, when you think about hockey, whether it be on the college level or the NHL level, I mean, the offseason isn't really all that long, right? I mean, you think, oh, the Stanley Cup's handed out in June, and, you know, 
everybody comes back in September for training camp. Well, in reality, that's only two full months that's off, right? I mean, sure, that's the entire summer and it can feel like an eternity. It's really only two months off. Obviously, the NCA has a little bit more of a of an off-season period, but it, it's not like, you know, the season ends and then there's six months before the next season. No, it, it's pretty quick. And like you said, um, things like the draft and, and rookie camps and mini camps and all that. And I mean, think about it, right? So they say, okay, well, we'll still have the draft, but, um, you know, well, you know, we'll finish regular season when we come back. Well, you know, say they do the draft lottery and, you know, at a wild chance, the Coyotes, who only right now only sit four points out of a playoff spot, win the lottery and get to draft Alexi, uh, Alexi Lafreniere. Well, <laughs> is he going to be able to play in the rest of that regular season, right? Like, all of a sudden right. now you're starting to run into some things where it's like, okay, well, can these guys play in the NHL, you know, if they get drafted and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, you have a lot kind of tied up into this. And um, like you said, a decision has to be made at some point. And I think if they end up having the NHL draft, I don't know. It, it, by having, I mean, if they have it on time, I don't know if you can finish the season. You can't. I, I mean, there's almost no way you can finish the season if you end up having the NHL draft on time in late June. Yeah, I mean, and here's who I look at it, Seth, is that uh, the hockey season for me, the new season starts around uh, 1st of July because you have the late June draft typically, right? And then what do they do? They bring in the rookies and the, uh, and the draftees, and they, they have a camp. It's usually right around the 4th of July. Then there's a couple of weeks off. Then guess what happens? They bring back the rookies again the end of July and August. So uh, I always look at our season as starting um, in the end of June, the first part of July, right after the draft, because the new crop of guys are here. They're fighting for spots. You're getting to look at, at your draft picks and, and seeing what you have and getting to look at undrafted guys and bringing them in and, and seeing what you have there. And So it really starts – for me anyway, right at the end of June and the 1st of July. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's one of those things where, again, say you draft somebody and and you, you get to look at them in training camp and, well, they're good enough to crack the roster now and, you know, you want them to play, but they can't play in the previous season because technically their name and their contract was <laughs> in the previous season. Like, you're going to start to run into some really weird logistics that, I mean, again, like the NHL is going to get it sorted out, right? I mean, that's as much as people don't like Gary Bettman across the league, I think he's a very smart businessman and, and he's done a really good job. But um, other than, I, I think the two labor strikes have really hurt uh, the popularity of hockey around the country, but I think he's done a pretty good job regardless of, of making sure the game grows in the United States. And um, they have this together, right? Like I, I think they know, okay, well, if we're not going to get back in July, then we can't have the draft until September and, you know, everything gets pushed back. So um, interesting to see what, uh, what happens next, but um, obviously I think they have uh, some of this planned out, right? Like I know we could plan for um, a pandemic like this, but uh there's a lot of time, right, uh, to sit around and kind of think about what's next. So I, I trust that the NHL is going to have something in place, but I just don't see how this season ends with the Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, sad as I hate to say, I think it's a smart move. I think it's a prudent move and, and really just uh, restructure and plan to start uh, on time. Do your draft, do everything, go from there. We'll wrap this edition. Uh, 
quick announcement that I do want to make. Uh, our friends from Summer Skates have got our Summer Skates to us. So if you're interested in Summer Skates, you'll be able to find those on our website real soon at ice at um, IcetimeHockeySW.com. I know you got your pair. Uh, I'm sitting here with them on at the moment. I love them. And uh, we're, we're thankful to have Summer Skates on as uh, a corporate partner. And also, I want to shout out to uh, our good friend, uh, Jay Hinnon, over at uh, OxyPow for uh, providing us some hand sanitizer and our fantastic Friday sponsor as well. So if you need hand sanitizer, probably some of the best I've seen is the stuff from Jay Hinnon. So shout out to those two guys. Seth, thanks for jumping on again tonight like you always do on Monday nights with me. And hopefully we're going to have some hockey stuff to talk about more than just off the ice stuff very, very soon. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I think that, uh, the summer skates are great. Um, just warm out. I got Del Taco for uh, dinner tonight, warm out to get in the old drive through. They're comfortable. They're nice. They actually added a couple inches to my height as well. So, um, <laughs> I mean, to wear those out when Bonus I get stuff. a little more of an intimidating presence. That's right. They're, they're more than just comfortable and they're stylish. They got the, the ice time hockey Southwest logo. And uh, like I said, uh, I might have to talk and, and see if I can talk uh, Coyote's uh, media relations guy, Greg Dillard, and uh, allowing me to wear those in the press box once we get things going again. So I have a feeling it's a no, but uh, maybe we can talk to Summer Skates and uh, <laughs> I can talk them into, uh, you know, me paying to have them make me a custom pair of Summer Skates dress shoes with our logo. I hear you. Well, I, I think they'll do almost anything because they are very, very talented people up in Toronto, Ontario. So, We'll end tonight's show. We'll tell everybody to tune in again next week. We've got a special guest. I'm not going to say who it is yet. Uh, we will uh, we will tease it a little bit more this week. But if you want to hear some college hockey, some NCAA talk tomorrow, join us for College Hockey Southwest Weekly with uh, my co-host, uh, Paul Hornstein. And I will have the, uh, the voice of Des Moines Buccaneers hockey on. And, uh, of course, on Wednesday night, it's Club Hockey Southwest Weekly where uh, my – co-host Stephen Marsh and I will join you and talk a little club hockey. So all under the ITHSW podcast. So for tonight, for Seth Askelson, I'm Scott Strandy saying good night, and we'll see you all next week as we leave you with a little Hello New Day from Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. <laughs>